Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to just come and study together. We ask that your spirit would be close to us tonight and that you would move upon our hearts the love that you have for us and the love that you desire in return. And Lord, the life that you gave and the life that you desire us to give. And so we ask today, Father, that you would just come and just be in our midst, Lord, drawing us close to you and close to your intention for us. May it be our decision today to fully give our hearts to you, to fully serve you, to fully live for you as we are truly living in these last days. So we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and your truth and the love and the joy of fellowship that we have in you. And bless us this final night, we pray. Let your Holy Spirit be upon our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask. Let everyone say, Amen. The Adventist atheist, and many people wonder, well, what exactly does that mean? Does that talk about people who go to the church every week and people who uh, may look like they are good Adventists on the outside, but down in their hearts they really don't believe in God and they really don't believe the message? Many people automatically assume that that's what I'm going to talk about. And the answer to that is no, uh, that's not what we're going to talk about. It's something very different, and uh, we're going to see what that is from the Bible tonight, I believe that there's a passage of Scripture that speaks very directly to this issue, and I believe that this passage of Scripture is given actually directly for us. And I remember reading just recently a story about a man who was, uh, um, who was a pastor of a Sunday church, and this was on the Adventist Mission uh, website. And this man uh, began to, uh, he was a Sunday pastor, and that was his livelihood, and so he had a congregation, and he uh, actually began to, I forget exactly how it was that it happened, he began to study the Adventist message, and he began to be convicted of it, and began to be convinced that it was true. And so he began to attend the Adventist church, and he did some Bible studies with the local church, and he decided that he was going to follow that message because he believed that it was the true biblical message. And his wife and son, who were, I guess, not very Christian at all, but they were very upset because he was going to be leaving his congregation and going over to the Adventist church, so he was going to lose his livelihood, and he was going to lose his income. And so one morning while he was laying on the couch, he would, he would have been asleep on the couch, they came in, the sun came in with, uh, I believe it was sulfuric acid, and threw a cup of sulfuric acid right in the face of this man. And he began to scream, and he began to wail, and the neighbors heard him screaming, and so they called the police and when the police arrived, the son and the mother ran through the back door, and they took him to the hospital, and it barely saved his life. In fact, he lost, I believe, one of his eyes, or maybe even both of his eyes, and his face, much of his face was just eaten away by that acid. And nonetheless, despite that suffering, despite that persecution, and there were many other stories that I've read on there. If you haven't ever been to that, that site, it's very fascinating, very powerful, of people who are willing to give everything that they have for to follow the truth and not just to follow the truth but to also share the truth people have suffered great loss in their life in this earthly life in this earthly uh, their earthly material things for the sake of following Christ and for the sake of following the truth that Jesus had revealed to them and many people have been beaten, some people have been killed, some people have been mutilated, others have, been, have lost their jobs, have lost their family, have lost their friends, have lost everything. So let me just say this tonight, that there must be something about that Adventist message that leads people to that place in their lives. What do you say? People who have accepted Christ fully, who have been... Uh, have learned the truth of what God's Word says, and their hearts have been set free from the slavery of sin in their life, the addictions and the things that bound them in chains, those chains have been broken by Christ. And so if we have not found that truth that has set us free, that can set us free, I would say to you tonight that we must 
be on our knees pleading with God until it, we find that thing. What do you say? How many of you would agree with that, with that statement with me tonight? But my question is, what makes people find or, or, or search or desire that kind of truth? So if you have your Bibles with me, go here to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and that's where we're going to find the story of the Adventist atheist. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to start here in verse 13. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. If you're there, please say amen. The Bible speaks here, and it says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now in those days, uh, typically the, the law stated that if there was a father with multiple sons, when he died, all of the sons would receive some type of a portion, but who would receive the chief portion? It would be the firstborn, right? The firstborn would receive almost everything, okay? including the land and all those things. And so, obviously, this brother, I'm not exactly sure the story here, either the eldest brother was not being fair to the younger brother, or the younger brother was not being satisfied with what the law said, and he was being very selfish and was interested in having more. And he came to Jesus, and he wanted Jesus to intervene in that family affair of dividing the inheritance. Now, it's very interesting. I've seen people, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when there's a situation in the family where money is involved and where people are able to get some form of money, either in a house or a car or a piece of property or, some, or maybe there's a savings account or whatever, people can change. You ever notice that? People begin to, to get hungry for that dollar and they begin to uh, uh, get, they can, they can be people that they never were before. They can become very selfish and that can, they can even become very conniving and deceiving and vindictive when they're not getting their way. How many of you have ever noticed that before? That people can shift when there's some kind of money involved. And this was what was happening with this man. But notice how Jesus replies, verse 14, but He said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, that's a profound statement from Jesus, isn't it? Because isn't He the judge? Isn't He the arbitrator? Isn't He the mediator? What do you say? Yeah, He's our high priest. He's our intercessor. So why is it that Jesus was not willing to intervene in this matter? Why is it that Jesus wasn't interested in this man's situation? Well, He tells us in the next verse. Verse 15, He said to them, Take heed and beware of what? Covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And so Jesus here is speaking, and he basically, in a nutshell, is telling this man and the crowd, he said, look, I did not leave heaven and come to this earth to settle the issues of this earth. He said, that's not my mission. That's not my purpose. That's not my, the reason that I'm living. I didn't come down here to settle issues of inheritance over things that are going to pass away into the eternity. I'm not a judge of those things. You have earthly judges for those issues. But Jesus says, my purpose is much higher. I came to seek and save that which was what? That which is lost. He said, the things that I've come to be judge over, the things that I've come to be an intercessor and an arbitrator over are things of eternity, not things of earthly value that will soon pass away. Do you understand that? So Jesus is making clear that my purpose is not what you might think. It is not of this earthly material business that so many people are striving after today. How many of you would see that from that passage, yes or no? And a question today, how much more is it, should it be true for those people who are following Him in this life, 
for those people who are claiming to be His disciples, claiming to be His people, claiming to be His remnant, that we should also be of that same mindset. How many of you would agree tonight that God's people ought to follow the pattern of Jesus today? What do you say? Now if you'll turn with me, we're going to hold your finger there because we're coming back. If you'll turn with me over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, I'm just going to make a little side parallel here. Matthew chapter 13, and I want you to notice verse 44. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. Most of you are not married, but if you're not married tonight, how many of you hope to be married someday? Amen? I mean, that's one of the great goals of life, right? Those of you who are married, you, you can, so you can both picture this. Suppose, if you're not married, that you are, and if you are married, suppose that your wife, or your, I'm sorry, your ladies, that your husband came home one day from working, and he said, honey, we are putting up everything we have for sale. The house is going up for sale. I've already contacted the realtor. I've already put the cars on Craigslist. All the shoes in your closet are going in the yard sale. That's going to happen today. Even the clothing, in fact, honey, turn around. I've got a price tag to put on the very shirt that you're wearing. We are selling everything. Everything has got to go, even the dog. And I'm still questioning whether or not the kids are going or not. I'm, I'm not sure yet. But everything has to go. And there's going to be a major shift and change in our lives. Now, what would you think about that spouse, that husband? You would think what? This guy's crazy. What's the matter with this guy? Has he lost his mind? Is he going to send us to the poorhouse? But this is the exact portrayal of what's happening. A husband came home to his wife and said, we are getting rid of every single thing that we own. And the wife thinks he's crazy. The neighbors hear the news. The neighbors think, this guy has gone nuts. Honey, get the kids in the house. We don't want them around this guy. He's lost his mind. His friends hear about it. And they say, man, what's the matter with you? Have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? What's the matter with you? Why, are you selling? Why would you put your wife out on the street like that? His co-workers hear about it and they say, man, like nobody wants to get close to this guy and, and the boss is even thinking about letting him go. You understand? Like, like everybody in his life says, dude, you are what? You are crazy. But is this guy crazy? Yes or no? Is he? What do you think? No, because he has found something that is of infinitely greater value. He's found a box that has gold pieces upon gold pieces in it. And those gold pieces outweigh everything that he owes times a thousand. And the thing is that everybody else might think he's crazy, but the truth is that they don't know what he knows. Are you with me, yes or no? He knows something. He has a piece of information that is going to change the, re the course of the rest of his life. And no one else knows. No one else understands. And based upon the limited understanding that they have, they think he is crazy. But is he crazy, yes or no? No, because he has found the pearl of great price. Something that is infinitely worth more than everything that he owns. Now, a question for you, and you know the answer to this. In these two parables... What is it that is that treasure box and what is the pearl? It is who? It is what? It is the righteousness of Christ, yes or no? 
It is salvation. It is heavenly favor, divine forgiveness, the grace of God coming upon His life. And when the, and when the grace of God comes upon the life of a person, everything in their life does what? It changes. Yes or no? And there are people in their life that once knew them a certain way who don't understand the new person. Are you with me? Their friends don't grasp what it is exactly that's changing about them. They just know that they're different. They're not, they don't quite like it. And now they seem a bit more weird than they used to be. Everything is shifting for them, but they have an understanding. Their eyes and their hearts have been opened to something that they were blind to before, and they have a power in their life. They have a beauty in their life. They have a joy and a peace in their life that no one else, even in their, their spouse, others in their household, cannot understand. Are you with me? And they have laid hold of something more valuable than all of the earthly treasure that they know, that they possess. And that is what Christ does for us. When we truly lay hold of the divine power to transform our lives, the things of this earth begin to become very insignificant. We become less interested in collecting things and storing up things and heaping up things. But we become more interested not in being a keeper of things, but a keeper of people. And we want others to find that same treasure that we found because guess what, friends? There's enough to go around. Amen? And Jesus was trying to get the people to grasp this concept and to grasp this, this, this idea that when you possess Christ, you possess everything and you don't need anything else. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a house. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have a car. I'm not saying that. That's not my point. But those things are not the things that we live for. Those things are not the things that drive our purpose. It's not the, the second house in Florida or wherever in the U.S. It's not the boat that I think I can take out every weekend. It's not the motorcycle that I drive on Sundays. It's not the, the, you know, all those things. It is my purpose in life is to live for the kingdom of God. And when I truly have an understanding of that, then those things become greater to me than anything else in the world. Are you understanding me, yes or no? If we do not have that sense, then we need to go to God and say, Lord, what in my life needs to change? Lord, what in my life needs to shift? Reveal Yourself to me because I want You to be my greatest prize. And we must confess to Him if He is not. And He'll forgive us. He'll receive us. But we must become true disciples of Christ. Are you with me, yes or no? That righteousness of Christ. Now please go back to Matt, uh, Luke chapter 13. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And this is the point that Jesus was making to the man. You're quivering, quibbling about, about an inheritance that doesn't really matter in the long run. But search for the treasure that cannot rust or be destroyed. Search for the bread that never molds. Search for the bread that leads to eternal life. Amen? Now in verse uh, 15, it says, And He said to them, Oh, I'm sorry, verse 16, Then He spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, well, what should I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now, the Bible tells us that this man's occupation was a what? It was a what? It was a farmer. Now, is it hard? Now, I mean, this is kind of a mixed bag question, but is it, is it moderately difficult to be corrupt as a farmer, yes or no? I mean, I mean, it is. I mean, you, you could somehow manipulate some stuff, but it's definitely hard. I mean, farming is a relatively honest work, right? I mean, if you don't go out and plant some seeds, then you're definitely not going to what? You're not going to get a harvest, right? 
And so this man works hard. He's obviously very wealthy because he has lots of servants. And year after year, he plants his seed and he harvests his crops. And then one year, particular year, he, his harvest yields how? Plentifully, the Bible says. It yields very plentifully, right? And so this man has a harvest that is much larger than normal, okay? And he asks himself the question, well, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to handle this extra that I don't even have room to keep? Now, sometimes we think, or, or let me just say that oftentimes we think that when God tests us, how does He test us? How does He normally test us? Through what? I mean, we have, it kind of becomes a cliche that you know, God tests us through trials and that kind of a thing. But did you know that sometimes God tests us through blessings? Did you know that? Sometimes God gives us an abundance of something because He wants to see how we're going to use it and what we're going to do with it. Does that make sense? You see that? Sometimes God says, hey, I wonder what Joe over here is going to do if I bless him with uh, you know, this other thing right here. Right? Let's just see what he does. Now God already knows what you're going to do. But you remember, there's a judgment taking place, and God is, everyone else is looking on, and, and God wants nothing more than for all of us to prove His goodness by doing His will with the things He gives us. Amen? He de- takes delight in that. So He blesses this man with, with plenty, and sometimes God blesses us with, with plenty. Now a question for you. Has God blessed the Seventh-day Adventist church plentifully, yes or no? What do you say? Has He done that? He's blessed us not just with spiritual blessings, spiritual truth. You know, the Bible says that the Jews had the oracles of God, or in other words, the truths of God. And I believe that in the last days, the Seventh-day Adventist church has the oracles of God. God has blessed us both with truth, but He's also blessed us in many other ways. Just like the Jews of old, He would bless them in business. He would bless them in prosperity. And I believe that He's done the same for the Adventist church today. We have many uh, physicians. We have many dentists. We have many nurses. We have many very successful business owners. And many Adventist people are very successful in the world. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Are we making that parallel? And so God has blessed the Adventist church very plentifully as well, has He not? Is that true? It's very true. And so, the Bible says, He thought within Himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And notice His response. So He said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build what? I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be what? And be merry. And so this man decides that he's going to store up those crops and he's not going to just satisfy his needs He's going to satisfy his own indulgence. You see that? Yes or no? And don't miss this point. Let me, let me just explain something to you. In my house in Michigan, I have a pole barn. And my pole barn is not very fancy. It's not, there's not anything special about it. It is just the framework of the barn with the posts and the rafters. And it has one layer of tin metal all the way around it. It has a dirt floor with a little bit of gravel. When it rains, it gets real soggy, and you can't even hardly walk in it. I didn't have any electricity when I bought the house. I just put electricity in it, so gradually I'm improving it, and eventually I'm going to pour concrete. But just as that barn was, when I I, uh, obtained my house insurance, the house insurance said that if I lose that barn, they will pay me $30,000 to replace my barn. Is that a lot of money? Barns, even though they may not be much, are not cheap. Are you with me? 
And this man, when he had a plentiful crop, he said, I'm going to tear down my barn and I'm going to build a what? I'm going to build a greater one. I'm going to build a bigger one to house all the extra stuff that I don't need. So don't miss this point that this man actually had to spend money and a lot of it just to be selfish. Are you with me, yes or no? He had to pay his servants to go in there and tear down that barn. He had to pay money to buy more materials. He had to pay the servants to put back up the bigger barn. It was going to be a lot of money. But he was willing to do it just to hang on to something that he didn't need. Now, we're going to go to the book, Christ Object Lessons. Can you see that there? There is a ch- there's about four or five slides, and we're going to read a little bit, but I'm going to stop along the way, and I want you to see this. This is a very powerful statement. It says, By the parable of the foolish rich man, Christ showed the folly of those who make the world their all. This man had received everything from who? Now, this man was a hardworking... Don't keep reading, because I want you to stop. <laughs> this man was a hardworking man. He was a Jew. So therefore, he had some connection to God and the truth. Are you with me? You could actually say in 2018, he was a good, decent, honest Seventh-day Adventist who knew God, who knew the truth, who was very successful, and God blessed him to see what he would do with it. Everything had been given him by who? By God. This man had received everything from God. The sun had been permitted to shine upon his land for its rays fall on the just and the unjust. The showers of heaven descend on the evil and on the good. The Lord had caused vegetation to flourish and the fields to bring forth abundantly. The rich man was in perplexity as to what he should do with his produce. His barns were full to overflowing, and he had no place to put the surplus of his harvest. Imagine this, that this man was caused, had perplexity or anxiety about what am I going to do with all this extra? I don't know what to do with it. Now, many people today, they have anxiety because they don't have what? Enough. But this man was perplexed about what to do with too much. Now listen, I'm not just talking here, I want you to understand, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking here about truth and spiritual blessings. Are you with me? The Adventist church is overflowing with spiritual truth. We're overflowing with biblical and spiritual knowledge. We're overflowing with prophetic understanding and all these different things that God has given to our church. Are you with me here? Let's keep going. Notice this. He did not think of who? Is this correct? Yeah, there it is. He did not think of who? God, from whom all His mercies had come. He did not realize that God had made him a steward of His goods that He might help who? The needy. He had blessed he had a blessed opportunity of being God's almoner or, 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 or like a channel of God. But he thought only of ministering to his own what? His own what? His own comfort. And so God gave him an abundance and the reason God gave him the abundance was so that he could share with those who had a need. Are you with me? That was the purpose of the great blessing that God had given to him. But instead, he would not even, uh, he was not ministering just to his own needs, but he was ministering to his own what? His own comfort. He was more interested in his own comfort than he was the comfort or the needs of those that were around him. How do we know that? Well, let's keep reading. 
The situation of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the suffering, the afflicted was brought to this rich man's attention. There were many places in which to bestow his goods. He could have easily relieved himself of a portion of his abundance. God was not even asking him to give up. He... <laughs> Sometimes God will call us to say, I'm providing for your needs. What I've given you is the exact amount to cover your basic needs, but I'm asking you to give a portion of what you have for your basic need. I'm asking you to sacrifice that so that someone else has at least a little bit. How many of you are with me on that? Does God do that sometimes? But this man had his needs met, and then he had a certain portion, a quite a bit of a portion above that, and God was saying, I'm not even asking you to give all of your abundance just to bring you down to your needs. I'm just asking you to give a portion of your abundance. Are you with me? God was, this would have been absolutely no sacrifice on this man's part. You got me? He could have easily relieved himself of a portion of abundance, and many homes would have been freed from want. Many who were hungry would have been fed, many naked clothed, many hearts made glad, many prayers for bread and clothing answered, and a melody of praise would have ascended to heaven. So, here's the scenario. There were people in this man's community who were praying that God would meet their needs. Mothers were pleading with God, God, my husband is dead. I have five children that are hungry. God, please provide us something to eat. Another family over here is saying, Lord, we barely have enough to eat, but our children are going around virtually naked. We have not any money to buy clothes for them. Lord, we don't know how we're going to survive the winter without enough wood to make fire to cook with. Lord, please send us some wood. There were different people that were having different needs in that community. And this man had the ability to not just meet some of them, but to meet how many of them? All of them. The Lord had heard the prayers of the needy, and of His goodness He had prepared for the poor. Abundant provision for the wants of many had been made and the blessings bestowed upon the rich man. But he closed his heart to the cry of the deity and said to his servants, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have had much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I want you to understand this for just a minute, and please do not miss this point. These people were praying that God would meet their needs, yes or no? This man had the ability to meet those needs, yes or no? The man was made known of the situation of those people, correct? Yes or no? So somehow, maybe his servants told him, Master, there's people over here that have, maybe you could help them with some of that extra. And, and he heard all those requests, and he said, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear my barn down, and I'm going to build greater. Are you with me? So when, and, and, and it says specifically that God provided that abundance so that he could use the abundance to meet the need, correct? So God had laid everything out. Are you with me? And this is why I, I, I just, I, I lovingly, I don't actually do it, but in my heart, I lovingly roll my eyes when atheists say, oh, you know, I, I can't believe in God because He allows innocent children to die of hunger in Africa and other places around the world. And I'm like, oh, really? Is that true? Well, is it, is it do they go hungry because like we only have a certain amount of food to feed every mouth? Well, actually, no. There's enough food in the world to feed every mouth and more. The problem is the way it's distributed. And I say to my atheist friends, I say, hey, look, why don't we, uh, why don't we do this? I said, I'll, I'll pull $1,000 out of my savings account. Why don't you sell your gaming system? Why don't you sell uh, you know, your $400 pair of tennis shoes? Why don't you sell your $80 t-shirt 
and let's go and let's create some money. And we'll go down to the Red Cross. And, and by the way, how about if you not buy beer for the next six months and save that money too? And then let's go down to the Red Cross and we could feed 100 families for the next year. Let's do it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, what do you mean you're not going to do that? Well, that's my stuff. I, uh, I, I worked a lot of hours to buy that game system. I want that thing. That's mine. I said, oh, really? So you're blaming God for something that you have the power to do yourself. Really? That's, well, then I guess we can't really blame God because actually God has provided everything to feed those people, but He's given you the job of making sure it happens, and you're now refusing. Are you with me? And so listen, he says, so, so, so this man knew that these people had a need. He refused it. So when those people prayed to God and said, Lord, please help us with this need, and, that, and then God provided that need, but the need went unmet because of his selfishness, then that would mean that those people would sense that God had not what? Answered their prayer. Are you with me? And their faith in God would begin to go like this. Was it God's fault? Yes or no? No. But their prayer seemed to them to go unanswered because of the response of the man whom God answered the prayer through. Are you with me tonight? Yes or no? The Adventist church, you and I have been given a very special treasure through the truth of God and understanding of the character of God. The understanding of Christ and how He met the needs of those who were poor and suffering and in spiritual despair. We have the example of Christ through the Gospels and through the book of Desire of Ages of how to go about meeting those things. And He's given us all an abundance of truth. He's given us all the understanding. He's given us physical blessings to bless them. You understand today that if you're a student here at Southern and you're going to, to, to be a nurse or an engineer or you're going to go on to med school after this or you're going to become a dentist or whatever it is that you're called to do, you are not called to live your life for that thing you're not called to make a pile of money from your profession and then spend it upon yourself you have a duty you have a duty to use everything you have for the building of the kingdom of god you understand that this man's aims were no higher than the beasts that were perishing he lived as if there were no God, no heaven, no future life, as if everything he possessed were his own, and he owed nothing to God or man. This man lived and planned for self. The psalmist describes the rich man when he wrote, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This man was the Adventist atheist. And my fear today is that among us, there are many Adventist atheists, people who say, I know God, people who say, I love God, people who go to church every Sabbath, who are faithful at returning their tithe and offerings, people who never miss Sabbath school, who are always involved in some activity in the church. But we are Adventist atheists because we want to, secure, to wall up ourselves in our nice little home and enjoy the blessings of God while not being used by God to answer the prayer of the needy of the world. We are just sitting around and tearing down our barns and building greater. And all the while boasting, God has surely blessed us. And we have not been serious about His call upon our lives. The only thing that would be of value to Him now, He has not secured. In living for self, He has rejected that divine love which would have flowed out in mercy to His fellow man. Thus he has rejected life. For God is love and love is life. The man has chosen the earthly rather than the spiritual, and with the earthly he must pass away. Listen, my friends. Even though God may give us spiritual and earthly blessings, if they are not used for his glory, they are no different than the heathen who takes advantage of the blessings of God 
while, while, while rejecting Him and His message. Are you with me, yes or no? If we take those blessings and live them for our own lives, we are no different than those who do not know God. A lukewarm Christian, a Laodicean Christian, will do more damage in the world than the atheist ever will think of. You may be a very earnest, godly, devoted believer in whom the power of the flesh is still very strong. And there is only one who can deliver us from the power of the flesh, and that is the living Christ who crucified Himself for you and I. How many of you can say amen to that tonight? And we must have that experience. And I want, to just, I want to just close with this statement, and then I'm going to tell a story. Can I do that? I think I'm going to be within my time. This man, I believe, describes very many atheists. This parable, I believe, is for our generation. Are you with me? I don't think that this is just some nice little story that Jesus told. I don't think it's just some parable that he threw out there for the people of his day. I honestly believe, just like the parable of Matthew 25, the ten virgins, I believe that this parable specifically applies to Laodicean Adventism. Are you with me? I believe that we are lukewarm. I'm not, what I'm not saying is this, so please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we should all go out and sell everything that we own and go to the mission field. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But what I'm saying is that the priority of your life ought to be the kingdom of God. More than just by lip service, but by life service. You understand that? And that everything that you do, every decision that you make centers around how will this impact God's kingdom? How will it impact my ability to minister to others? Now this man, you can look at his life and it is very sad. But our lives don't have to be that way. Amen? Our lives don't have to be lived for ourselves. Our lives can be lived sold out to the Savior. Our lives can be driven by Leading others to Christ and not just claiming that I live for Christ and never reaching out to my fellow man, but actually making an intentional effort and many efforts for the kingdom of God and a life that is transformed will do that. I want you to see, I have three slides left that we're going to read, and we're going to compare this man's life to the life of Abraham very, very quickly. Look at this in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 126. Speaking of Abraham, it says... It was no light test that was thus brought upon Abraham, no small sacrifice that was required of him. There were strong ties. This is speaking about when he was called to leave his country. There were strong ties to bind him to his country, his kindred, and his home. But he did not what? He did not hesitate to obey the call. He had no question to ask concerning the land of promise whether the soil was fertile and whether the climate healthful, whether the country afforded agreeable surroundings and would afford opportunities for amassing wealth. He didn't ask any of that. He didn't say, God, is the place you're sending to me a good place? God said, I want you to go. And it wasn't just a matter of going. It was a matter of leaving everything of, uh, that he had had behind his family, his comforts, everything, his inheritance, it was all left behind to go to a place he didn't know was a land of plenty or a land of sand and desert. He didn't know. But the voice of God to him was more influential. To, 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 to have the relationship and the intimacy with God was more important to him than any of those things. He wasn't worried about it because he knew that he would be in the will and the hand of God. Amen? And it says, the happiest place... Oh, I'm sorry. God had spoken and His servant must obey. The happiest place on earth for Him was the place where God would have Him to be. How many of you can say amen? And that's the happiest place you'll be. Your happiness is not dependent upon your surroundings. Your happiness is dependent upon your life being the center of the will of God. Many are still tested, as was Abraham. Who would that be? Who would that be? That would be us. They do, not, they do not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens, but He calls them by the teachings of His Word and the events of His providence. They may be required to abandon a career that promises wealth and honor, 
to leave congenial and profitable associations and separate from family or kindred to enter upon what appears only to be a path of self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. God has a work for them to do, but a life of ease and the influence of friends and family would hinder the development of the very traits essential for its accomplishment. He calls them away from human influences and aid and leads them to feel the need of His help and to depend upon Him alone that He may reveal Himself to them. Question for you today. Who is ready at the call of providence to renounce cherished friends, plans, and familiar associations? Who will accept new duties and enter untried fields doing God's work with firm and willing heart for Christ's sake, counting His losses gain? Who will do this as the... Who, he who will do this has the faith of Abraham and will share with him that the far more exceeding and a weight of glory is not worthy to be compared. The call is to you tonight. Who will answer the call to live a life of self-denial that your Savior lived for you? Who will be willing to pick up the torch in this generation? Who will be willing to be focused when all else is blurred? Who will be willing to say, Lord, it doesn't matter where you send me. I'm going to go. It doesn't matter what your purpose is for me. I'm willing to heed it. Because my life with you is greater than my life with anything or anyone else. God is calling us today to full commitment, to total dedication, to be fully committed to His cause. What do you say? I want to tell you quickly this story. This man, I was in, in just in March, I was in South Africa, and I'll tell you the quick version. And when I was in South Africa, I was there doing a little series for a, cam a secular campus on atheism and some other things. And when we left, we were getting on the plane to leave. The plane was having trouble, and uh, they were trying to fix it. The engine was messed up. And eventually, at 10.30 at night, they canceled our flight. And we all had to go, hundreds of people had to go and rebook down at the thing. And so it was utter chaos. And I noticed that this man was standing there and all the, all the airline agents were gathered around him and I, and I joked with my wife. I said, man, this guy must be like a president or something. And, uh, and they were just giving him the utmost attention. And I noticed that he kept looking at us as well because we had our son with us. And he was like one of the only small kids on the flight. And, and we ended up going down there and they wanted to book us on the next flight home, which would have been a Friday night. And I said, no, I don't fly over the Sabbath, please book me Saturday night. So they did. They put us up in a hotel, and when I got to the hotel, there was the man in line, and I ended up in line behind him, and so he began to talk. And uh, we just spent a few minutes together, and he introduced me to his assistant, who was a lady there, and who was helping him, and we all went to our rooms. Well, the next morning, I came down for breakfast on Friday, and I was in the breakfast line, and I had to get out of line a couple times because uh, I needed to call my wife. And finally, when I got back in the line, guess who I was behind? I was behind this man. And we started talking again, and the waiter said, would you guys like to sit together? And we said, sure. So we sat together, and we had breakfast together. And as I began talking to this man, he said, well, I noticed that you guys had your son with you, and I was worried about you. And we started to talk, and eventually he, revealed, he told me, he said, I'm the king of Ghana. And he said, I, he said, I am a, uh, a pastor. He said, I'm the king of Ghana, but I actually live in North Carolina. He said, I'm a pastor. And he says, I have a congregation of almost 1,000 people. He said, I used to pastor a network of churches of about 2,000 in number. He said, but I gave all that up because I want to do more humanitarian work. The man had three PhDs. He had received awards from President Obama. He knows um, 
Who's the guy that, uh, Barry Black, the chaplain who's an Adventist, the chaplain, the son knows Barry Black, and he says, he's written a number of books on prayer, and he says, I just was coming from a conference where I was speaking to a group of 300,000 people about the Bible and about God. And he said, and now I'm on my way back home, and he says, I'm missing at a very important event. He says, I'm meeting with about 30 dignitaries from various countries around the world. They're coming, all coming to North Carolina for a conference, and I'm going to miss that. This guy is a very, very important man. And he started to show me. I'll just show you right here. There he is, sitting on his throne. His name is Dr. Kingley Fletcher. You can look him up online. And I'm having breakfast with this man. And he's telling me about all his adventures and he's showing me all these pictures. And then after several minutes, he says, well, what do you do for a living? I said, wow, it's very interesting that you should ask that. I said, I'm actually a minister as well. He says, oh, really? He says, what denomination? I said, I, I just smiled and I perked up and I said, Seventh-day Adventist. He said, you're a Seventh-day Adventist? And I said, yes. He says, oh man, he says, I've got to tell you. He says, you people have the truth. He says, I've studied your message and I believe everything that you believe. He said, in fact, many times when I travel, he says, I can't uh, arrange to be in a place on Sunday. He says, I'll go and, and I'll worship in an Adventist church. He says, you have lovely people. He says, I, he says, I believe your health message. And I noticed that he didn't get any of the sausage on the breakfast line, the pork sausage. And he says, and I, I, he says I just believe. He says, you people have every ounce of truth. And I said, with, you know, I'm an evangelist. So I said, well, what keeps you from joining the church then? He says, you know, he says, I've actually thought about that. And he says, I believe that very soon I will. He says, but it's a process for me. He says, but I'll tell you this, when I make that decision, he said, there will be tens of thousands of people around the world who will follow me into the Adventist church. And I thought, oh Lord, this is intense. I'm having breakfast with the king. But it really wasn't that big of a deal because I had had a spiritual breakfast with the King of Kings just an hour before. I said, Lord, give me the words. And this is what he said to me. He said, you know, he says, there's just one problem that I have with your church. And I just started to shrink. And I thought, oh, man, he's going to talk about Ellen White or he's going to talk about you know, some issue of doctrine. And he says, he says, this is the one problem I have with your church. Do you want to know what it is? No, you don't. You don't want to know what it is. Here's what he said. He said, you people are not loud enough. He said, nobody knows who you are in the world. He says, you have the message of truth and you're all keeping to yourselves. You're all too quiet. He says, nobody knows who you are and, and, and like you should be shouting this message from the mountaintop. He said, every one of your members ought to be proclaiming this truth with a trumpet. He says, I don't understand why you would be so quiet. And he says, you ought to be more bold and more confident in what you believe because, and he looked me right in the eye and he said, it is the truth. And I just shrunk down in my seat, not, not physically, but you know, emotionally and spiritually. I just thought, oh Lord God, Help us. We have a message that the world is crying out for. And we're building bigger barns. God, raise up people, young and old, who will be willing to be bold and to proclaim your truth. And tonight... With your decision, that could be you. Make no mistake, God has called you as He called Abraham. God is calling you as He even called that rich man. And the path of your life will be one of those two paths. Either the life of the rich man who died that very night. God said, you fool. And his life was taken from him. 
or you will be like Abraham who said, Lord, all that I have, all that I am, all of my talents and all that you've given me are yours. And just as Abraham laid Isaac upon that altar, so I lay my life down. And Jesus said, I lay my life down and no one takes it from me. But I will pick it up myself. And when you lay your life on the altar, God will raise you up. And there will be a power in your life that no one else on this earth has. And there will be a light shining from you and through you to others that will draw them to the Savior. But you have to decide tonight. You have to choose. The person beside you can't choose. The person around you can't choose. You must choose tonight. And how will you answer the God of heaven who has given you all? I'd like to invite you to stand tonight. And I'm going to make a very specific appeal at first. And then a more general appeal quickly after. There may be somebody here tonight whom God is speaking to and saying, I want you to give your entire life to my ministry. You may not, you may, and that may mean that you come to be a pastor. It may just mean that you become a missionary or a Bible worker or whatever, or, or some kind of gospel worker, male or female. You can be a gospel worker. God, God doesn't distinguish, but He calls us all into ministry. And God may be saying to you tonight, I want, I want your life. I don't want a year from you. I don't want, you know, just a, a little time in a campus club at Southern. I want your life. And I want you to be in my calling. I want you to be in the full-time ministry. And maybe you've known that and you've run from it. Or maybe God is speaking to you now for the first time. But if if there's somebody here tonight where God is saying, I want you in my service with your entire life, I want you to come right down here right now. And you're going to answer that call tonight. Maybe you've already answered it and you're just going to confirm it. But I don't know, there's going to be different people with different situations. But maybe God has said, I want your life full time. And God is saying, you come and you give your life. There may be somebody here that God says, you know, I haven't called you into pastoral ministry or full-time gospel work, but I've called you to be a missionary for me in the various fields, such as maybe you're going to be a physician or whatever, and God wants to use you in that capacity. I want you to come. And you're going to say, Lord, every day of my life, though I have a profession, I also have a calling. And my calling is to be a missionary for you. My calling is to lead others to you through whatever work you've given me to do in this world. And you're willing to say, I'm not just going to be a doctor. I'm not just going to be a nurse. I'm not going to serve as a nurse for the next 40 years until I retire and never have prayed with any of my patients. But I will do your work. I will speak to people about spiritual things. I will be called and I will be used by you. There may be somebody today who says, who God says, you know, I'm not calling for your entire life. I'm going to give you a profession, but I'm calling you to a year of service or two years of full-time service, and you want to yield to that. Whatever God is impressing upon your heart tonight, I cannot speak to all those things because it's going to be different. But I know that God is speaking to everybody. And I know that God is calling everybody to do something for Him. Something with your life more than just building bars. It's time to wake up. It's time to be focused. Everybody else might be blurred, but that doesn't mean your life has to be blurred. And are you willing today to go wherever God calls? That's your desire tonight. Would you raise your hand? Let's pray together. Father, tonight you see these young people, you see 
some, those that are maybe a little older, but Lord, in your eyes, we're all eternally young. It doesn't matter how old we are in this life. You didn't even call Moses till he was 80. You've called others when they were older. God, tonight, you've touched the hearts of those here standing before you. They're not standing before me, Lord. They're standing before you. You've put your hand on their shoulder and you've said, I have a place for you, not just in my heart, not just in my kingdom, but in my work and in my service. And wherever we go, whatever we do, we will be used by the Savior for the winning of those who are lost. And Lord, wherever you lead us, you might lead us to some very lonely places, but we are never alone. You might lead us to places that are very comfortable because there may be people in those places that need to be one, but wherever you call us, whether it be comfort or, or hardship or whatever, let us know and never forget what our purpose is. Let us always be focused and may not anything else in our lives be blurred. We pray today, and when we stand before you in eternity, more than the jewels that will be in our crown will be the souls that we have won who will bow at your feet and give you eternal praise. And we know that you are the only one who has the power to save both them and us. And so, Lord, tonight we lay it all before you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.